0: We all need a clear sense of direction and vision for our lives. We all need the self control to bring things into focus so that we live according to the goal and the vision God's given us. We all need confidence that what God has promised, He's going to perform. We all need determination. Everybody in the room needs determination. If you're going to succeed like God wants you to, if you're going to be who he's called you to be, you need determination. But it occurs to me that when we get to heaven, maybe some of these things, faith becomes sight. Now we're face to face. Do we need hope anymore when we're finally in the presence of Jesus? I don't know. But I do know something that we're still going to have in our hearts, a quality of character that God wants to develop in you that is just as important to your future as determination or discipline or a clear sense of direction. It is the quality of gratitude. You don't win without it. Gratitude is something God's seeking to produce in everybody in the room. And for the next four or five weeks, we're going to look at gratitude as we come up toward what is truly, in its roots, in its history, in its nature, a Christian holiday. My favorite holiday. I wish I could invite all of you to our family reunion that happens on Thanksgiving. It's a great day. And it's my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. Among all the qualities God seeks to produce in you, this one. Is essential. The Apostle Paul addresses it in the book of Romans in chapter 1. He has a great introduction to his letter where he talks about the wonder of the gospel. And then he gets to verse 16. And I want to read Romans 1 16 for you as I talk about turn up the gratitude. Today and through these next few weeks. And today, my heart hears the sound. That is the sound of gratitude. Romans one sixteen says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Having concluded his introduction to the letter, he now begins to talk about wrath. And for the next, really, three chapters... He rehearses the problems in the human race. And he starts in verse 18 by saying, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him." But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And we conclude with the word reptiles. (laughs) An interesting and colorful passage. Among the worst descriptors of the human condition. Here in this description, with which Paul begins his assessment of the human race, he mentions godlessness, and that is the lack of reverence and respect for God. He mentions wickedness in verse 18, and that is often translated unrighteousness. And he says, as he describes the human condition, that men are godless and they are wicked and they suppress the truth in their wickedness. So they know the truth, they have a sense of the truth, but in their own heart, they restrain the truth. They push it down. They keep it from themselves and from others in their teaching, too. They suppress the truth. This is part of the description of the human condition men are wicked, men are godless. And part of the problem is that even the things they know to be true, they won't acknowledge to be true. And therefore, he says, they have no excuse. There is no excuse. Those of you who do apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, the word Paul uses here is anapologetics. It's the negative of apologetic. It's no defense. They suppress the truth and they have no defense. There is no excuse for them and their position. So the human condition is this. People suffer from godlessness and wickedness. In their wickedness, they suppress the truth and they have no excuse They rebel against God's rule in the world. They rebel against their own mind and heart as they deny God his glory to their own shame. And in the midst of this description of the awful condition of humans, the apostle writes that they do not glorify God nor give thanks to him they don't give thanks you say that's that's an unusual place for ingratitude to show up in the middle of godlessness and wickedness and suppressing the truth and all the twisted things he talks about as they turn their glory into shame and worship and serve the creation created things instead of the Creator. And here he mentions ingratitude. They do not give thanks. It might surprise you to know that Jesus in Luke 6.35 said, I want you to love your enemies. And the reason I want you to love your enemies because God himself is kind to the ungrateful and unholy. God is kind to the ungrateful and unholy, so you love your enemies as if the ungrateful are the enemies of God. In Second Timothy, the apostle Paul lists the things that are going to plague people in the last days. He says they're going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, proud, disobedient to their parents. There's a surprise in the list of all these terrible things. Disobedience to your parents shows up. And then he says ungrateful. They're ungrateful. And the word ungrateful has in the middle of it the beautiful word "Caris." I believe Bryce and Rachel Mitchell l- named their last daughter charis. Am I right? Yeah. Charis. I love the word charis. It's the word usually translated grace in the New Testament. It's a beautiful and wonderful word. It's full of God's love, packed with his kindness, his wonder toward us, his gracious heart toward us. And the word ungrateful is the negative of charis. It's a life without grace. A life without graciousness. A life without gratitude, ungrateful, unholy, refusing to give God glory, refusing to give him thanks. Ingratitude, in fact, tops God's list when he talks about the offenses of human beings toward him. Among the worst descriptors is ungrateful the Bible says here that they did not give thanks and their hearts were darkened they got dark inside they got dark up here they got dark down here it was like when they stopped being grateful a curtain fell inside of them and it shut out all the light He describes it like this, Among the worst descriptors of the human condition are the futile imagination and the foolish heart. The futile imagination and the foolish heart. You may think it's not such a big thing to be resentful and jealous, to be arrogant and proud. To be ungrateful, really, thinking you have gotten everything by your own work in your own hands and really you don't have anybody to say thank you to. That's really not such a bad thing. The Apostle Paul says here that ingratitude is linked to futility and foolishness. Futility is the great emptiness. Emptiness. The King James says they became vain in their imaginations. It's like there's a huge hole in the universe. And when you refuse to give thanks and you let the ungrateful spirit fester in you, you fall into this hole of nothingness. It is vanity, it is emptiness, it is you and your ungrateful heart. In fact, ingratitude leads to this kind of emptiness of soul, of mind, and of heart. And it is an emptiness that has to do with the imagination. Here it says about futility in their thinking. Oh, old King James said futility in their imagination, vain in their imagination. The idea is that it is the way you picture yourself, your mental image of yourself, It's not so much logical thinking as it is your self-concept, the idea of the world and who you are. Vain in their imaginations. They refused to give thanks. They emptied the world for themselves, their heart, and their mind. And they pictured the world without a God. To give thanks to. As I think about the futility of ingratitude, the emptiness of it, think about how ingratitude violates all of the Ten Commandments. Lest you suppose that an ungrateful spirit is a mere slight scratch or blemish on your character, Think about what it means for the first command the ungrateful heart, no other gods. And the second command, no false gods. And the ungrateful heart. And the third command, no profanity. And here's a man with an ungrateful heart who is not grateful to God nor any man. Think about no lying no stealing and no coveting and the ungrateful heart. See, ingratitude touches all of these commands. We are literally in our heart producing a seedbed of disobedience to God with the ungrateful spirit. It is futility. It is emptiness. It is folly. The word foolish here is no understanding. It's the word understanding with the alpha privative in front of it. It's it's a heart with no understanding. I told the Wednesday night group when I was teaching them on Proverbs that this building is built on 800 pilings that go 121 feet into the ground, such as it is here at the base of the Mississippi. And that after driving these 800 pilings into the ground, the contractors built pile caps on top of them, some of them as large as your living room, thick, wide, long pile caps, solid concrete. I told them, I have one request. When a thousand pounds of steel goes by on that railroad track and I'm standing up here to preach, I don't want to hear it and I don't want to feel it. And I've been preaching here for almost nine years. And when a train goes by, I do not hear it and I do not feel it when I'm in this room. Because this building has some understanding. Right? Right? Somebody said, why are you going to spend $3 million underground? Because the understanding of this building is very important. Ingratitude cuts your understanding. It cuts what stands under you. It demolishes what holds your world up. Day by day, what brings your mind together and your heart together, what brings light into your life, ingratitude slashes it all away. And you begin to suppose that you are alone in an empty universe. What do you have to be grateful for? I think about the secular picture of the human future. That is, the movies and books that come out all the time about the future of the human race. Have you noticed how dismal the predictions of the future are? Have you noticed how bleak it is? Have you seen a movie lately about the future that was really like the Jetsons? You <laughs> Remember the Jetsons? Oh, there's a future. There's a future to be part of. But not something like The Road or whatever you may have seen lately. All of these dismal predictions about the future. And I'm thinking, what fosters that? in the community of man, in his heart and in his mind. I think in part it is an empty universe that makes no sense ultimately. And so we paint a picture of the future that is as dark and depressing as it can be, with guns and war and chaos and disease, a human race that has unraveled. And it is the most common prediction of the future In our time, let me suggest to you, as a preacher of the gospel, as a teacher of this book, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you challenge the secular notion that the human future is dark and dismal and full of despair. And you instead plant the seeds of hope and a wonderful future in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That your expectation be distinguished from the artist and the cinematographer of our day by saying, I believe in a God who is good, who loves us, who is full of kindness and grace, who cares about every human being on the face of this planet and has plans for us that are good and wonderful. our personal and political prophecies are so often mean and negative. Among the worst descriptors of the human condition are the futile imagination and the foolish heart only cured by gratitude. Hey, gratitude is a cure for that pale that has fallen over your heart. Gratitude is a cure for a family that has an atmosphere of pain and difficulty and confusion. The scripture pictures Jesus over and over again giving thanks. You think he gave thanks only in the great times of his life when everything looked bright and wonderful? No, he gave thanks when he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And all that bread revealed for him was the cross and suffering and his execution soon to come. And when he took the cup... And he gave thanks. What is he doing? This cup represents his blood poured out in a new covenant. Why give thanks for the suffering you're going to endure? Your blood spilled out. He gave thanks for what benefited other people, you and me. He gave thanks on the eve of the darkest hour of his life. Those pilgrims arrived in 1620. Established Plymouth Colony. And the first winter, half of them died, including the governor. They elected a new one the next year, William Bradford. And in that autumn, he declared that they were going to have a harvest festival and three days of Thanksgiving. What? With all these freshly dug graves, we're going to have a Thanksgiving celebration? Yes, the governor said he was wise enough to know, that no matter how difficult your life is, you turn on the light when you give thanks. You lift up the veil when you give thanks. If your heart is grateful, it changes the way you perceive your world. Abraham Lincoln was more vilified, he and his wife, than any president in our history. I am willing to wager, although I don't wager much. I was in Springfield, Illinois on the 150th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation and I went through the Lincoln Museum there and I stopped to gaze at the clippings from magazines and newspapers of his day that painted the worst, crudest picture of Lincoln and his wife that you can imagine. Think of this man who took office only days before the war between the states began. And his entire presidency was lived out in this bloodiest conflict in in, in American history. It was Lincoln who in the middle of his presidency in 1863 declared Thanksgiving, an official holiday, and made it so in these United States. Thanksgiving is not simply for people who are going swimmingly through life, having everything come their way. It is for you, no matter what has come your way, no matter what difficulty you face. Thanksgiving is for you, and it will change your heart to give thanks. I'm only going to preach on Thanksgiving for four or five weeks, okay? So listen, (laughs) there's a lot to say. The Bible's full of it. I want you to practice a discipline for the next five weeks. I want you to practice the presence of God in your life in every step you take through every day you live and giving thanks as you go through your journey. All right? So that when you get in your car, you drive down the road, you're giving thanks for the sunshine, for the beautiful clouds. You're giving thanks for your family. You're giving thanks perpetually as you go through your, when you show up at work, you're giving thanks that God's given you a job that you can support your family. You're giving thanks for coworkers who care about you. Whatever it is, you're giving thanks. You've disciplined yourself to give thanks for these next five weeks. Look, have you been suffering from despair, from resentment, from bitterness, from anger? Are you angry inside? Does it bubble out of you in surprising ways at moments where you cannot control and all of a sudden you just burst with this anger inside of you? That bubble, that foul speech, that that attack on the people you love... It doesn't come just from a surface problem. It comes from a deep-seated brokenness inside of you. How do you address that? You address it through the forgiveness of Christ and the giving of thanks. You address it through a changed attitude and behavior that experiences the world every day as the gift of God. This next breath you take, it's not yours. It's his gift. This next beat of your heart, you have no guarantee. It's a gift from him. If you will acknowledge the God who made you, if you will acknowledge his eternal power and divine nature, if you will stand on the threshold of the universe saying, Lord, I believe there is something instead of nothing because you are the Creator God and that's where it's all from. I believe there is life in this universe because you made it. I believe there are humans on this planet because you made us and I believe I am here because you formed me in my mother's womb and I believe I am fearfully and wonderfully made if you will live with this perspective in your heart and in your mind you will come back five weeks from now to say the world is different than it used to be what used to be dark is light now somehow God's changed me from the inside out bow with me please Somebody in the room has suffered great loss and you've had a hard time giving thanks since that terrible tragedy. Would you ask God to heal that brokenness inside? And would you let the thanks come? Someone is facing financial difficulty and it's been hard to be grateful. But you know that your life is a gift. Would you give thanks? Somebody in the room has had a bad diagnosis. You're not healthy. A sickness has come upon you. But you don't want that pain to define who you are. Instead, you want to give thanks even in the pain. Lord, show us how to give thanks. To express kindness, graciousness, to be people of grace, even when things are difficult, not going our way, problems have come, and we've been beset by trouble. Lord, show us how to give thanks so that you can lighten our world, lighten our way. And keep the world in proper perspective. Thank you for Jesus. Who saves us through his grace. Changes us from the inside out. Forgiveness. God we thank you. For providing for us through your son. And we pray that today. You will help us acknowledge your great gift. Stand in your grace. And respond with a grateful heart. In Jesus name. Amen.